I'm Matt. Hi, I'm Annie. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we're watching AMC's Mad Men and trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we're discussing Season 3, Episode 5, The Fog, written by Peter Gordon and directed by Phil Abraham. This episode originally aired on the 20th of September, 2009. The hit movies that week. Uh, new on the list, the number one movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Which is great. Oh, is it? I don't think I've seen it. <gasps> okay. It's one of my best like visual gag pun jokes like ever. I'll put it on my very specific media list that is entitled... Annie told me to watch this. Yes! <laughs> and therefore, it is great. The second place movie this week is The Informant. That's new on the list this week as well. Last week's number one is down to number three, I Could Do Battle By Myself. And the fifth place movie this week is everybody's favorite, Jennifer's Body. Mm. Uh, the hit song this week is still I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, in this week's episode... Sally gets into trouble at school, and it looks like Don might too. Betty enters the Twilight Zone. The Drapers welcome a new baby. Peggy gets an offer, and Pete is uh, colorblind. Yeah. Just, uh, Pete. (laughs) Yeah. That whole thing is. uh. I think this is the first episode this season. Well. No, because we did the blackface episode. But I knew that was coming before we watched this episode. So without that in the running, this is the only episode this season I texted you guys after watching being like, guys, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We got questions about who is running things behind the scenes. Yeah. But let's start with the positive. Abigail Spencer is back. As yeah, Suzanne, oh, Sally's nice. teacher. Really yeah, is. that was that was nice to see. I mean, I I, I had canon that she's the one who did Sally's ballet bun when you know she had to had ballet lessons that Grandpa Jean wasn't able to pick her up for because he tragically passed away. But yes, nice to see her her back on screen and Sally is acting out at school. So I really think that bun thing is canon because this is a very caring teacher. Yeah, I think it checks out. Still, so. yeah. Um. So Don and Betty have to go to like a parent teacher conference and Suzanne, that's her name. Yes. Mm -hmm. Miss Farrell. So Suzanne is like, oh, I'm surprised both of you are here. I'm like, all right, cool. Can't wait to see what goes down here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I love this. Like when she's explaining what happened with the girls, there's this like quick scene of like sweaty Sally with her hair was all messy and she's like wiping the dirt off her face. And I love that. I love all of this for Sally. Like obviously she shouldn't be starting fights, but I don't really think she said the meanest thing to that girl because it's not like she was like, all I'm saying is I feel like leave some water for the fishes is one of the more innocuous things to say (laughs) to a child. (laughs) Like. I do remember being that age, though, and we're like, oh, my God, so-and-so called them stupid. Like, it's the worst word you could say about anyone. So, <laughs> kind of get it. Yeah, I mean, it's still mean, but at least it's not like, oh, Sally is, like, a bad person. I mean, I know I called her a psychopath, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sal- Sally's just learning the w- the passive-aggressive ways. Uh, probably from her mom, for being honest. Well, she's figuring out how to get attention from mm-hmm. somebody. 
She's stealing money. She's getting in fights at school. It's uh, just acting out for sure. When Suzanne said, like, Sally needs more attention, I was like, thank you. Yes, she does. (laughs) That could probably be said about a lot of kids in that era. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably all of them. Probably. Including uh, the other one who that she Honestly, doesn't fight with. I think with. every child just needs more attention. And this is like a downer, but just like the way our society is structured, it's not like with time specifically for children to get all of their needs met, which is a bummer. But I guess that's what therapy's for. <laughs> mm-hmm. And because it's doing so well for Betty. Well, she's clearly not not going anywhere. Well, her the, therapist the was we a haven't seen we haven't seen trainer. her be back since season one. When her yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, there's that. There is that. So something that I thought was interesting and kind of stood out to me, and kind of in the early stuff with with the the Drapers and and Suzanne the teacher, is the way in which. Um, Suzanne is both sensitive to Sally's need and Sally's hurts and is being in in that moment kind of a, a good teacher and a good advocate in many ways for Sally with, with her parents in the parent-teacher meeting. But at the same time, Suzanne is like sensitive to and aware of what she's perceiving from Don and Betty in terms of when they mention mm-hmm. that Jean has died and, you know, all, all these kind of things that are are kind of going on. She's sensitive to, to them as well. And, and in that initial moment is very kind of perceptive and you know is, is is navigating that i think quite quite well and also it's, it's coming out of her own kind of it's her being suzanne suzanne's own kind of background experience with with her father kind of of dying when she was was younger i believe too mm-hmm. yeah you just know when they get left alone together there's going to be bonding. There's going to be vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> too much getting a little too involved, not compartmentalizing and drawing those important boundaries, which is like catnip for Dawn. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, <laughs> I really like the line that Betty said when she's like, I'm not as upset as I look. This is just my face, basically. I'm like, tattoo it on my forehead. <laughs> Me too. Even if I'm like only kind of like upset, I'm still probably going to cry a lot. And I'm like, this is an overreaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I know that, like, jokes aside, uh, Betty probably is actually very much more upset than she looks. And she just doesn't feel like she's allowed to have feelings, which is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. She says she's not as upset as she as. She- it's like I'm 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 not as upset as I look. I'm like I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, sure it's worse. worse. <laughs> Probably a lot yeah. worse than where you are. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you meant the other way, but like no, I think it's it, uh, But it's like <laughs> I just wish that she felt like she was allowed to like that feels like a space where you are like allowed to be overwhelmed by the fact that you don't have a handle on your child, you're about to have a baby, your dad just died. Like it's a lot going on. And I just wish that she felt mm-hmm. like you know you're allowed to like Mm -hmm. cry at a parent teacher conference i think i would assume that that's quite natural yeah i think miss farrow would have been all about it like the way she goes out of her way to reach out to her physically when she hears the bad news uh versus the way that that betty just immediately 
withdraws looking like why are you coming near me it's like when my cat uh reacts to me trying to give her a kiss <laughs> yes accurate just ugh. um yeah but i mean they definitely make an impression on suzanne because she calls the house after hours which what do we think do you think she was expecting to get done like I mean, she might have been because she doesn't know him, but no one else would call the house for him. Yeah, I do. Th- I do think so because I mean, housewife, pregnant. She probably just assumes that Betty will be home all the time. Yeah, but I mean, thinking may not have been like super involved. It seems like she's thinking more about like how she um, really overconnected and oversympathized with everything but then she was also drinking wine so maybe it wasn't a super she just thought out doubles plan. down on like being unprofessional which like what happened in the classroom i didn't think was like too bad this is maybe not mm-hmm. great this yeah this is the to me anyways this is the the overstep and like i don't i think it's totally understandable that she would be replaying that conversation over in her head and you know being concerned that she said the wrong thing or then overstepped but like at least for me when i am feeling that way i'll we'll just make the subtext text because mm-hmm. matt's projecting again um but that it's like when you try and fix something you know that like maybe you've overstepped and you're you're fixating on or I'm fixating on or whatnot and you try to fix it and make it better to alleviate your feelings, mm-hmm. you can end mm-hmm. up making it worse kind of not just for yourself but for everyone else involved, right? It's like that whole thing that like what other people think of you really isn't any of your business but mm-hmm. we we want it to be and we want to understand it's like no i want to be a good teacher i just care so much i can't believe i offended them i hope i didn't hurt them and then you cross the line and especially when you cross that line and it's probably not your first class of wine that's when you know maybe you shouldn't yeah. call well when we see her in her home she's got her like bra strap hanging down her arm and i'm like oh thank you for the visual cue that you do not believe that this woman has her shit together and mm-hmm. that just feels I don't know I laughed though but I was like alright and you know again she's vulnerable with Don uh oh uh oh yeah catnip catnip that's where problems lie and then after Don says thank you for the phone call and he hangs it up and Betty's like yo I'm in labor we need to go who is that on the phone he's like oh it was no one yeah, sus. like, Don, why, why? Here's the thing. I feel like, obviously, he's doing that because he he's feeling some type of way about teacher, which, obviously, it's Don, and it's a teacher. But it's like, Betty doesn't know that. You could have just been like, oh, it's Sally's teacher. She wanted to do a follow-up. Like, that's a normal thing to happen. Like, you're just making it weird. And you know that in his head, he's just like, oh, I'm just trying not to stress Betty out with extra stuff mm. because she's currently going to labor. But uh, yes. maybe if you Purely were altruistic. someone not named Don <laughs> yeah. Draper or Dick Whitman, for that matter. Ugh, Don. Everything he does is just with a thin veil of like, oh, really? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Heavy dose of side eye. Cool. 
but we do get a, like a little bit of insight in who they are and people i mean more it's it's not so much insight it's just reinforcing things we already know about them like both um both betty and don are like eh, pe- sally was not at the funeral because we're like why would we do that to a kid and don thinks that a graveyard is no place for a child which is uh i disagree mm-hmm. great Grave, obviously not a fan of Neil Gaiman, who read the who wrote the the graveyard book. Anyways, um, what else? And Betty also at some point, when uh, Miss Farrell's just like, oh, we could talk about it another time. Betty's very very relieved, and she's just like, I just want to put it behind us. I want everything to be okay when the baby comes. That's not, that's not working through a thing so that it's okay. That's just mm-hmm. pushing it aside and ignoring it and pretending it's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, but that is just more of what they do. No, and 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 it's like it's like when you're a kid and your parent, guardian, whomever says, "Hey, Matt, clean your room." So you're like, "Hey, I'm smart. I'm seven. I'm gonna like shove everything off my floor into my closet, and then my room's gonna look clean until you know someone." whether it's me or someone else, just opens that closet and then it'll, everything that I'm bottling up comes comes falling out. And that's, I think, that's Betty's pattern. I think to a certain extent that's that's kind of Dawn's pattern. I think that that's a lot of people's pattern on this show. Yeah. That's exhausting sometimes, isn't it? Just seeing it happen again and again and again. Yeah, and then I'm like, oh, I hate to judge these TV characters doing activities that I too am doing. <laughs> how, We're not how here cool to judge ourselves. Me. This isn't a self-projection podcast at all. No, 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 We're no. Not, no. <laughs> We're not working through things. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Uh, no, I thought at one moment that kind of stuck with me and I don't know if they necessarily intended it to relate to this moment. I mean, they probably did. They put it all in the same episode. But there, uh, what's his bucket? The the other guy waiting Dennis. for his wife, uh, Dennis. Uh, he's telling Don about how so many of those inmates are just sitting around, you know, blaming their mom and their dad. And Don thinks it's bullshit. And Do I was you like, mm. <laughs> Is it? Do I relate to that statement a lot? Am I in a prison <laughs> of my own making? <laughs> it's cool. It's fine, guys. No, like a lot of like this episode kind of continued through a lot of what we kind of discussed last week and that idea of like family of origin and like the power that that still has over us. And it's kind of that seems to be one of the continuing themes throughout this episode as it relates to, you know, Betty and her 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 titular fog and her her twilight sleep as she she's giving birth and her hallucinations and seeing not just her father, but we see her mother for the first time. Um, and that conversation with Dennis and Don saying it's bullshit, but is it? And like the power that they kind of parents can kind of hold over us, and you know, even um, Suzanne's. We mentioned her her dad earlier before, so like kind of that coming through again as you know we've talked previously. I think as as far back as season one about Mad Men being a show where the subconscious is never far from the conscious and having almost a, a dreamlike quality and logic at times and. Especially with a lot of the the Betty stuff that we'll we'll get into here right away, that was was very much on display in this mm. episode for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, 
<laughs> um, so what we have um we have Betty and Don going off in a very nonchalant kind of way, being like, All right, we're just going to have a kid. Uh Don basically drops his wife off with the nurse who tells him his job is done and he's just sent off to the waiting room. And then Betty still has to fill out the paperwork. That was super annoying. Yeah. It's like bizarre to me kind of I guess like I've never really thought about it like dads couldn't always go in when babies were born Mm -hmm. like it just just it was it was not only like not expected it was discouraged like just it's not your place go away um I'm sorry you did this to me (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's so funny because you have like Dennis who's just so like and all of them are so nervous and wants to know what's going on. And you've got a nurse who has other shit to do who has to come and be like, hey, update. It's fine. Keep sitting. Just have a drink. (laughs) But I mean, at the same time, in this period of time, they have this twilight sleep going on, which is like basically sedation it's um it's an anal you know it's analgesia it's preventing pain and making it like a quote-unquote comfortable forgettable experience for the woman going to labor so she's basically not there either Mm -hmm. she's completely disconnected from the entire experience it's so weird to me yeah yeah because like we'll we'll get into kind of the hallucinations and stuff here in a minute, but like just to skip ahead a bit, it kind of like she comes out of it and she wakes up and she's holding the new baby and it just like who <laughs> gave this? It's just like oh no here baby. you are oh, like, yeah like yeah. Um. Uh. From my understanding, of what twilight sleep is, which is like morphine and some other stuff to just make you be like, cool, this is fine. Um. You're just not really there you're not really feeling the pain but obviously your body's still reacting to all the stuff the entire like organ shifting uh situation happening in your body um uh but you're not aware of it morphine has its own you know like dreamy hallucinogenic euphoric effect um I saw this one thing here saying in on Wikipedia, because <laughs> my very very deep dark deep dive into research, um, the drug combination relieved the pain partially and created amnesia such that the women giving birth didn't remember the pain. However, women had to be strapped into the bed since pain relief usually was not enough. This would cause patients to scream and bang their heads in beds. Bruh, uh, this is not great. Yeah, decades later, many women. <laughs> Decades later, many women would recall the traumatic procedure, which, duh. I imagine, like, some women who may have taken, like, pain medications later for whatever reason, they once they hit that state again, they probably start having all those yeah. memories flood back. Generally speaking, it's uh, frowned upon to restrain pregnant women. I mean, nowadays. I should think so. You know what I want to be frowned upon? The idea that women need to be shaved to have a baby or to do any type of like gynecological happenings. Like you don't have to do that. And like they're giving her mm. an enema to have this baby. Like can she just live? It's already not a great time. I'm sure that she wants you not to be <laughs> down there. Like 
Let's have this baby and I yeah. want to go home. Like, this is fucking ridiculous. Anyway, it was not great to be a woman then. It's not great yeah. to be one now. Having a baby is very hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both those things are literally not medically necessary. Having a baby is really hard and not having a baby is really hard. It's just fucking hard. Can we live? <laughs> Anyway, I do think that there's, like, more important yeah, what, things to yeah. talk about with, like, Betty's dream sequences that she has during this. But I just wanted to get my gripes about the whole mm-hmm. labor process. Just just no one, no one wants to think about the whole labor yeah. thing in general. Let's just not think about it. <sighs> um, so, yeah. Betty, what uh, what are you talking about? Be- Betty, Betty's like having visions, Betty's seeing a seen, familiar looking yes, janitor. Like her mom and like this man. I don't know. I did not know what this was supposed to be, but from the notes in this, it seems like somebody does. Yeah. So earlier in the in the episode when Betty and Don are meeting with with Suzanne, Suzanne mentions um, Medgar Evans. And Sally asking questions oh, okay. about his murder because it's been on the news. Med- Medgar Evans was a, a civil rights activist um, after Brown v. Board of Education, which was the the landmark ruling that kind of started the process of of segre- breaking ending segregation in schools. They challenged segregation at I think it was University of Mississippi. Um, they weren't they weren't successful. They weren't. I don't think they were allowed to attend. But anyways, was was murdered in 1963, and. You know, obviously that's that's something else that they're not explaining to Betty or maybe her parents don't or probably don't under understand it fully and everything else. Mm-hmm. So but the first time I watched the episode, because of it being more of like which is typical of Mad Men, a historical reference that's an aside kind of like um the monk self immolating in, in Vietnam last week when Sally was watching TV. Um it it didn't it pinged for me in the moment, but then the episode moved away from it. So when I was watching it, we see you know Jean in the kitchen. We see Betty's mom, whose name I've forgotten, sitting at the table, and there's this black man there. And I and I saw the blood, and I saw Betty's mom cleaning the blood, but I didn't. The first time I watched it, it didn't click for me that it was supposed to be that it was Medgar. And then the second time. I was like, wait, because I've been thinking about it more. It clocked for me then. So again, it's it's that I, I it's that idea of this is something that's happened historically. We know that they we're not explaining it to Sally. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about it with Sally. So it's something kind of on the periphery of the things that Betty is aware of and Betty is is dealing with, like with her identity and kind of all the things like that. But for me, and especially, and I'm sure lots of folks have have caught that the the first time through, and I and I just didn't. But it, it's it's very indicative of something that Annie you mentioned last week when we were talking about the uh, self immolation protest in Vietnam, and it kind of comes up a bit again later in the episode. When we're talking about some of the stuff with Pete and Sterling Cooper, and the idea of like race being on the periphery of Mad Men. It's something that. In this case, Betty can't fathom. It's 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 like I said, it's on the periphery. She can't process it. And then, even going back two more episodes to Old Kentucky Home, and you know the 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 conversation and stuff about you know the blackface, the portrayal, and and different things like that. It feels to me, as a white cisgender person, that the show's kind of trying to have its cake and eat it too. Where like, yes, I agree that issues of race and racial discrimination 
are misunderstood and on kind of like they're blind spots for both the you know the culture at large at the time the cult our culture at large now but like specifically you know our our very white characters our white privileged characters in 1963 so yeah it rings true through the for the characters but like matthew weiner created the characters the show writes those characters so it's like does it give them an easy out to kind of have race and kind of the civil rights movement writ large um be on the periphery of the show but then not have to kind of like address it like it's just kind of on the outsides and the where it's it's safe to kind of like hey reference this is a thing that happens and like yeah our characters wouldn't understand it too and isn't that interesting how it doesn't it doesn't impact them but it's kind of there but not mm-hmm. yeah it's a whole thing that i you know like i mentioned the last time it's it's something that it, i'm getting just a little frustrated by because like you said they're just mentioning it to be like yeah we're acknowledging it we're going to offer no insight we're not even going to talk about the fact that you know none of these people um seem to care about it that it's not important to them or why it's not important to them or in any way critique whether or not they're just pointing it out that like these people are privileged and it's not important enough for them to examine it and it's certainly not important enough for us to examine it uh moving on it's mm, yeah i don't know sometimes i don't want to call it virtue signaling or anything like that but it does just seem like they just want to be like hey we're aware of stuff we're super progressive but we don't actually want to do anything (laughs) about it I mean, it's a failure of my education that this name didn't ring a bell to me, but it's a failure of the show that that can be true and they use this man in this way and then not explain it enough that I knew what it was. You know what I mean? Like, it's my fault Mm -hmm. that I didn't know about this. But if you're going to put this in the show, you can at least go all the way to make sure that everybody sees the show, knows about it when it's done. If yeah. you're going to use, like, this is a this is a real man who was murdered. If you're going to use him in this way, you could at least, I mean, you shouldn't do that at all. But if you have to, I guess, you could at least go all the way. Mm-hmm. Even if it was like, I don't know, Sally mentioning it and Don, you know, brushing it off and demonstrating, I don't know. I don't know how it would fix it, but it's the thing. Just a couple kind of, or... One quick thing. I think I said Evans earlier. It's actually Evers. I had it wrong in the show notes and said it incorrectly on air. So so apologies for that, dear listener. Um, yeah, and I guess like the second thing, and maybe we can, you know, cut this out or whatever. But it, I remember going to a hockey game with my sister when I was in high school. And there's this dad and a kid probably about Sally's age on the LRT, like on the train platform. And we were right across the street from a like... I don't think I don't know if it's a homeless shelter or like a, like a homeless like like soup kitchen type type deal, and it was right by the the public transit train tracks. And this cop car comes whipping in, and they stop this homeless man, and they're like, you know, like patting him down and have him up against the building window. And the kid like asks his dad, "It's like, well, why are they um, why are they doing that to him?" And he's like, "Well, they you know they could be stopping him because they think he you know has." 
all these these lists of things on you know you could be having drugs blah 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 or uh, but then i was i mean i'm kind of like cringing as i'm listening to this as like 15 or whatever and then the dad like says like or they could be just harassing him because he's homeless and i'm like okay Hmm. right like where like like you can you can talk to your kids in a way that they're capable of understanding and you know is like still honest with them here i say as not a parent but you know like open things up for conversation. You don't necessarily have to like have the whole conversation there, but just yeah. at least like, open it up to the to like not just this thing that you can brush away so easily. Um, no, I'm just repeating myself. <sighs> yeah, uh, and we can certainly talk about Pete and his whole color blindness uh, when we talk Sterling Cooper yeah. stuff speaking just in case you can hear my cat yeah and speaking of cats um i wanted to point out this note when dream (laughs) betty runs into dream gene he tells her you're a house cat you're very important but you have nothing to do and that is very funny and an extremely accurate description of house cats uh but it made me really sad it was like heartbreaking (laughs) to hear betty's subconscious tell her that like through the voice of her father I'm like Betty you need to find a new therapist (laughs) this is sad you have a lot to do you just cooked a whole baby and now you're gonna keep it alive yeah it is so sad that this is how she was Mm -hmm. taught to see herself because clearly a part of her is railing against that idea and is so frustrated yeah I, on the other hand, would love to be I know, such a I know, cat. Right? Having things to do is very overrated. Kind of. Oh, super <laughs> agree. Big fan of just sitting around waiting for someone to just Feed give me. you a little pat, bring you some food, or bring you to the food. Um, this is just a long, I just wanted to point it out along with the conversation we had about Betty's dream. Don and his new friend Dennis, they have this conversation about Dennis's job in the prison that feels like it's kind of skirting around, um, kind of lazily around a race issue, although I don't know what these prison conversations would have been like in 2009. Definitely uh, in 2020. I don't love them talking about the like class differences between inmates and like it just not great. Especially when I Mm-hmm. In the grand scheme of things, don't really understand why this Dennis thing happened. <laughs> I, I, Dennis in general, I, I got the feeling it was just more a reminder to Don of the person that he was when he was first waiting okay. to become a new dad. He didn't even um, go to the hospital because think, at, <laughs> <laughs> no, he said he was a mess, didn't he? He said he was a mess and um, he thought that Sally was going to be a boy and um, uh, because he's done this twice before. He didn't even he at no point has he ever thought to bring a bottle of liquor. Sure. Um, And there's a moment where Don just seems to be. Well, I mean, his head, he's got his head hung down, I think, and his shoulders are slumped over when Dennis is talking about like, you know, this is a new start. I'm going to be a new man. Don is probably like. Um, he's going to be better. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, I was that guy once think. and <laughs> turns out I'm not. Well, it's another chance, Don. It is another chance. Where this is, is another chance. Where is Don? He's in the waiting room. No, he's not. He's never where you expect him to be. He's never there for you. 
And then she asked the nurse if she was with him. Um, so yeah, like, and I think we talked, I can't remember what episode it was where Sally asks about, um, wants to hear the yeah. story of how she was born and Don hesitates and looks at Betty and then Betty jumps in and answers. And it's like, I don't know. We don't know. I think in, in the context of show canon, um, whether Don was there or not, I suspect I maybe he wasn't like I emotionally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, as, as far as like what, Dennis is supposed to or, or can represent. Um, I think it is that kind of that to evoke that kind of regret at Don because he doesn't have like it's it's his third kid, it's old mm-hmm. hat, whether he was there or not to a certain extent, mm-hmm. and kind of that that newness. But like I wonder too, is that like is Dennis a road Dick Whitman could have traveled? Is that someone Dick Whitman could have grown into had he not stolen Don Draper's identity and, you know, gone into advertising and ostensibly been more on the, you know, liberal, just left of center, just right of center kind of, you know, kind of white collar career path as as opposed to Dennis who like reads more as kind of this, this blue collar kind of reactionary, almost like being gruffer. And it's like, yeah, they're animals, but you know, which is a terrible thing to say about, you know, inmates. Um, but, you know, but but they all had parents and, like, that's so rad. And, like, this kind of mushy meeting in the middle thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it, like, worked for me, to be mm-hmm. completely honest, but it, it, it felt yeah, a little I, too I, heavy-handed and insincere. Yeah, pretty much. And I didn't like Dennis to begin with because he was the kind of guy to, like, mention that he worked out of prison like three times and then he's sh- and once Don is like oh do they ever attack you or whatever he asks he's Dennis just goes you know he just looks almost like relieved finally he got asked and he says oh I was wondering how long it would take you uh take for you to ask me these questions like you buddy, like begging him him you're baiting him yeah I had that in my notes too what a fucking douchebag <laughs> so like I mean I guess you could probably have seen Don as that kind of person someone who maybe had some kind of inferiority complex who felt like he could have been something more and ended up in a um a posi- a, a less glamorous position i guess we sh- we can say where he feels the need to constantly prove himself to people that he thinks are better than him and then that like it totally fits in then with like the way the ways in which don is performative but actually like kind of hates himself so he performs even harder and like it yeah he's just very good at not making it look like a performance yeah exactly and like so i think i think that i think dennis is a foil did it work for me Mm, not really but that's just because dennis raises Mm -hmm. my hackles so you know yeah what do you think that look that um don gave or don made after they both cross paths in the hallway and don't really acknowledge each other so i read that as Don acknowledging him and kind of doing like that half like smile, which then the unwritten rule would be then Dennis smiles back or nods and you have that kind of mutual acknowledgement and then Dennis doesn't. Mm -hmm. And like that read to me again as like a cis dude um, as the ways in like they had this more involved, more like, vulnerable emotional kind of moment or connection and now that moment's passed now they're both sober so you, you can't can't acknowledge that we have feelings because we're men mm-hmm. um 
more so on Dennis's part because he's the one who doesn't return Don's like polite masculine smile or head nod, but but that's how I read that where it's it's kind of like their feelings were at the surface and now we can bury those down and it, it like never happened. That was how I read that. We were never vulnerable together. We were just drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which then keys my whole like, you know, frustration with that whole trope of like male bonding always has to have liquor. Um, <laughs> we don't need to rehash that. Again, that's projecting. <laughs> uh it just makes me think of that Daniel Sloss thing where he's like, men can only have emotions with each other when they're like super drunk. And the only way they can do it is like with their hands cupping the back of the neck of their friend and shouting really aggressively. Yes, I love you. <laughs> yeah. They're like, can you imagine if I just did that to my Get girlfriend? Your fucking hands off me. Uh, okay. Men. Toxic masculinity always a good time. Not still great. Bap. Official rating. <laughs> uh, I just want to also mention that uh, we have a l- tiny little return surprise or surprise return of Anne Dudek as Francine, who's looking like she's doing pretty good. She's got her sunny mm-hmm. little outfit. She's watching the kids for them while Don is picking up Betty and the baby. She's like deep into house too at this time too. So it's, it was it's a nice little 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 gift, even though Francine is the worst. Just like baby Jean. The little oh gift. We're going to name him Jean. We don't have to just Roger's like, now. what's his name? John <laughs> like, doesn't have a name. <laughs> yes, he does. It's <laughs> Jean. <laughs> and Betty wins. She's just so pleased with herself when you see the paperwork. <laughs> I mean, because she's the only one doing her paperwork, I guess. I'm still really annoyed at that. Um, I thought it was cool that it's Betty who gets the like lingering final shot with the music, the baby crying. And I thought it was interesting there was like the score from the dream sequence that was mm-hmm. to signify like a rude awakening, this crying baby. Yeah, I guess. Funny how Don makes a comment about how he probably won't get any sleep for the next six months and he's just You're sleeping fine. Sleeping away. Yeah, I think you're going to be okay. Um, okay, so yeah, unfortunately, things are happening at Sterling Cooper. You hate to see it. We're counting pencils, we're counting paper, and we're trying to sell TVs. Um, Look, someone stole a credenza. That's basically uh, a conspiracy. I wish that he would have been like, someone stole a typewriter, so fucking Kenzie could be like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would not put it past Kinsey to have stolen a credenza as well. <laughs> you know, this 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 is a you know this is to show the you the fact that Don fucking compared Peggy to a fucking pencil. We'll get to that, I guess. <laughs> well, com- we have time and and reason to complain about Don some more. Um. Yeah, Pete does the thing. <sighs> so, like. It's all kind of cringe. Um, But I think, like, the thematic kind of takeaway for me is that idea of, of, like, the kind of very cringy elevator conversation Mm -hmm. with with Hollis is, like, the idea of, like, the American dream and, like, it's liberty and justice for some. And, like, who gets to participate in the American dream and the fruits of, like, American exceptionalism, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's, like, 
Peter, much like we were kind of talking about with Betty earlier, and like when the show comments on race, um, race is again on the periphery for Peter, and like he can't fathom based on the box of you know privilege and everything else that he was kind of raised in financial privilege and 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 whatnot. Um, that like it just what Hollis is that there are bigger things to worry about than than watching his RCA TV versus Admiral TV, Peter just kind of looks at him like, wait, there is? Just because it doesn't, it doesn't clock for him and he doesn't register for him. And then later on when they're, they're, um, what does Lane say? Flogging? Well, when they're flogging Peter for um, offending mm-hmm. Admiral Televisions by suggesting that they specifically target the um, black market and, you know, magazines such as Ebony and that sort of thing. Um, Lane's like, I'm a stranger from a strange land. I don't know America, but we can make money by like selling to not just white people. And it's just like, I mean, yeah. And like that's a whole other kind of complicated, like, you know, conversation. And you know, can even talk about like, you know, who like the, the false equivalent, not false equivalency, but the thing that I thought of, which is totally the same thing is like how you have certain alcohol brands who, you know, go all in on like pride month and we're like, Hey, we have pride tours. And it's like, well, okay. But that's because your alcohol company linked with the history of the, of like, you know, gay bars as like the only queer space and the complicatedness of, you know, we're talking about alcohol, the spaces and, you know, addiction and things like that. Like, so it's just, consume 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 but like not everyone gets to participate in that consumption and then all these you know white picket fence all these american dreamy things equally because it's it a it's a myth and it doesn't exist like that is stuff i could talk about all day so i will stop because i feel like i've already ranted and taken up a lot of air so that was what i decided to take away from this whole middle section Mm -hmm. that felt very cringe and like I guess my closing question to transition to what I'd like to hear both of your thoughts on, are we supposed to like Peter more because he's okay advertising Admiral televisions in black newspapers? I think in 2009, we were supposed to think, wow, Pete is so, he just doesn't see color. He sees everyone the same. And capitalism yeah yeah like wow there are some things that are just more important to pete he doesn't look down on black people because they're black like that's not impressive (laughs) mainly just money it's really just money it's just people are commodities which is like not that different from seeing people as property and it it completely ignores a complete uh, just like you were talking about Matt, with his white privilege. He completely fails to see that someone is going to have a different perspective and different experience than he is. TVs are the most important. He can't believe, he doesn't buy that. You know, Hollis isn't watching, you know, baseball. He completely doesn't doesn't believe that at all. He fails to he completely ignores the fact that Hollis is genuinely genuinely afraid that talking to him is going to somehow threaten his mm-hmm. his job. He ignores the the comment that he made that you mentioned Matt, you know, where he says like we have bigger things than TV. I don't even really watch TV. And I've I've certainly had similar conversations before where people are like, "Oh, uh Pete says like a lot of negroes prefer admiral TVs." I've done the research. And you're like, "Cool." 
I have an RCA. I, an individual singular human being, am not representative of a whole people, but thank you. It's it's just very frustrating. And I I'm sure at the time that I saw this, I was like, huh, that's uh didn't expect that. I have really expected Pete to be more overtly racist. But at the same time, most racism isn't all burning crosses and no. um, starting mobs. Most of the racist things I have heard in my entire lifetime directed at me or someone else is usually like low-key casual racism. It's from people who I have considered friends or loved ones, people who think that they're actually saying something nice but is very much microaggression-y. And I like that moment when um, Pete's like, no, 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 it's just us. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's just ho- It's just you and me. It's us. It's Hollis. And Hollis interrupts, interrupts him and goes, Mr. Campbell, pointing out that like disparity in their positions. And it, it gets close, I think. It gets closer than I think most things that they've attempted in the show to mm-hmm. discuss race but it's still not really there at all. What kind of like rubs me the wrong way about this is because like, I'm not sure. Um, I don't even know how to say like, I don't, this feels like more like insidious kind of than like the blackface did because everybody in all the time periods knew that what they were putting on screen was something that was supposed to be abhorrent. I really think in 2009 they were like, look at how progressive Pete is. Da, da, da. And it's like looking at it now, it's so fucking ugly the way that he's treating like a whole group of people as just money. And he's like offended by the fact that like his client isn't willing to advertise to them because he doesn't understand how they're not willing to make money and he doesn't even give one single thought to the fact that like the people that you're working with are literally denying people like personhood if you think tvs make people and you are acting like you can't sell tv you know what i mean like i this it's it's the scene in cooper's office that like the blackface is horrible to watch, but everyone agrees with that. This is horrible to watch, and I'm not sure that the people who made this show think that it is. Because mm-hmm. this is still how capitalism works. We are still out here in 2020 mm-hmm. saying, like, yep. sell black brands, market to black people. Like, how long did it take to get Fendi Beauty or whatever the fuck the first line of foundation with a million colors was? Like, that was like two fucking years ago. Oh, wow. I mean, maybe longer, but, like, not that long. No, not that long ago. It's wanting to profit off a group of people, of human beings, but not in any way actually wanting to ben- like do anything that may benefit them or may help them or fight for them to be paid equally so that they can afford these TVs. It's... Yeah, or, like, recognize that it's not fucking TVs that, like, people need. Like, I don't know. It's it's your major blockbuster motion pictures with uh, casts that are not all Caucasian, but everyone behind the camera is. Yeah, and I'm probably going to really cut that out of the episode because I'm not very articulate, but I just wanted to get it out. It's a good point. Uh, yeah, and I feel like that scene in you know the principal's office basically was less about Pete being the per- you know, hey. 
the way we're talking about it, how do I put this? I feel like the scene in the principal's office was more meant to be like, wow, the old guys are so backwards and refuse to stand up against the changes that are happening. You know, it's the 60s. A change is going to come. Blah, blah, blah. Lane is obviously a good guy because he's on Pete's side, but it more just points out how unbelievably clueless and almost and like willfully ignorant every single one of them are not great Bob. so we all agree pete still sucks right yeah cool yeah <laughs> but i also i do just want to point out lane how every time we're in this office he's got this lounge happening with the arms stretched out it's not quite the don draper lounge with the arm it's something different almost with a twist and a cross-legged and it's so relaxed and just like I'm always captivated by it. Roger talking about giving handouts like fuck all of you. I'm I'm done with you. Everything's terrible about Roger. It's interesting though that like last season Don went missing for several weeks and the company kept running and then they sold it but Don takes half a day off. You know, because his wife had a baby and uh, the whole office apparently has stopped. <laughs> half a day. There's a lot to catch up on. Well, all that accounting now needs to be done. Yeah, I guess that the situation has changed. It's, there's, less, there's less leeway. They have the British Empire to uh, answer to again. So the redcoats are coming. Mm-hmm. And Don's uh, defense for using up so much paper just seemed kind of stupid they have ideas where he's talking about like look my creative team is great yeah they have ideas they throw away bad ideas on paper and one of the things that makes them great yeah (laughs) one of the reasons that makes them great is because they're allowed to be unproductive whenever they are oh my god on on that conversation was it's it's so like coded too because like Don's talk like Lane is talking about Don. He's not talking about Don's department, right? Like mm-hmm. he's talking about like softening up the drinks and afternoon naps. It's like we haven't seen anybody but Don nap at the office. <laughs> and so when when you know Don's showing this this great leadership and like signing up for his team, he's justifying his own working style to Lane. But which I mean, Lane does there not was one of. time when Freddie yeah. peed his pants at work because it was like such <laughs> normal occurrence oh, the, that they yeah. got that drunk. And the only mm-hmm. reason he got fired was Pete told on him. <laughs> like, it is pretty fucking wild out here. <laughs> there may be a few too many people yeah. there who don't need to be there. Well, you know who's really impressed about the way that uh, Peter and Peggy kind of handled that whole Freddie Rumson situation? <laughs> it was Duck Phillips. <laughs> this uncle herman thing is so like unnecessary but just hilarious (laughs) good bit thank you good bit for putting this it was good (laughs) it was a fun way to 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 change the tone because i was just so concerned (laughs) i uncle herman he's 92 (laughs) cut to duck looking tan and then they're at the freaking lunch and he's like i was p- pondering, meandering the annals of my brain, and I had an epiphany. You two have a secret relationship. <laughs> it's so funny. They're like, "What? No, we don't." Uh, 
No, we do not. No, that's that's insane. Um, <laughs> that's a little shyster. Oh my god, yeah. And it's like it's almost weird, isn't it? The way he's turned into this like kind of like loose, non-button-up shirt, charming, smiling, is joking he... guy. Ladies man, man's man, man, bowtie. Yep. I'm gonna assume <laughs> so. It makes me real uncomfortable how different he is. It just made me jealous because I could never pull off the turtleneck and suit look. It just didn't I, like it on Yeah, me. it's not a look that I super love, to be honest with you. Um, when Pete is like badgering Peggy about whether she told Don about it or not and she's like it's none of your business and he says like your decisions affect me I'm like eek I mm. feel complicated feelings about you saying that I'm going to just take it at face value we're talking about duck and duck only and that's it <laughs> I mean Pete's not been super good about about minding his decisions mm-hmm. that affect Peggy so I mean, glass houses, really. No, and that, and that's interesting too. That you like, do you just take it at face value? Is face value? I think it's at faith value. Do you take it on face value, or do we start digging into kind of that that subtext? Because I think that subtext is definitely present minutes before in this episode when Peggy asked Dawn mm-hmm. for the raise and she has her own uh, baby presents because no one else in the office mm-hmm. was like, hey, we're all going in on a baby present. Here's what you're sharing. This is what we're getting. She had to do her own thing. But she makes that comment to Dawn that like, I guess after three, it's old hat and pauses for a beat. And Dawn's the only other person besides Peter, but the, the one who knew earlier was the, at one point the only other person aside from her family who knew about Peggy's pregnancy and that she gave her child up for adoption. So he somehow is present enough to realize what Peggy's actually thinking about. And that's what Bridges starts to kind of move them closer together again, kind of emotionally in that scene from them being, you know, I'm fighting for paper clips. You can't have your raise, you know, business fight in the distance there. It's that's what starts to close it. And then it ends with Peggy saying, you have so much and Don agrees, but that look on his face and the way he takes a sip of that rye Say so it's like he knows he does, but he's mm-hmm. still not happy. So that that's regret there. So like, as frustrated as I was at points on this episode, the Peggy and Don scene where she asked for the raise and that it it does a lot of heavy lifting in this episode. But it, but like that for me is for better or worse. What I think of Don or don't. What I think of Peggy or or don't. And over the time, it's like. When this show is firing on all cylinders for me, it's those mm-hmm. two characters recognizing something in each other. And I think, I think I said, when we were, I was at some point in season one, I don't quite remember when, but I was texting with past and, and future guest Elise. And I was like, wait, is Mad Men a love, like a platonic love story between Don and Betty? And it's like, and that's something I've kind of been been tracking, you know, as as we've been rewatching it. 
and we'll continue to rewatch and stick with us, listeners, till we get to the end of season seven, part two, despite if that that is actually the case. But that's when the show is is, is really working for me. All the seesaw emotions and things that I have about everything else kind of surrounding it, it's like really Dot and Peggy are the core, and like that's that's what still works for me, even though it maybe it doesn't always hold up and I don't read it the same way as I did 11 years ago, but that just, it works for me. Yeah. And I think that that's all true, but I still want to separate that from her conversation with Pete, because I don't want Pete to think that Peggy's decision about her baby has anything to do with him. I mean, it kind of does, but like I said, like I feel complicated about that. Nope, and I enough. don't it's complicated. like Pete fucking Campbell is yep. not the person that's going to make me interrogate that. I'm sorry. <laughs> fair enough i mean for pete his his career is far and away Mm -hmm. more important than anything and you know peggy having a baby that affects that her not just emotionally and affects her future and her career that also affects her physically very different (laughs) very different levels here totally i did like when peggy was was making her case to for why she should get a raise and, and comparing it to Paul and how she does the same work and, and oftentimes better, sometimes better. I can't remember what she says. She but, says Paul so. does the same. Paul Kinsey does the same work I do and not very well sometimes. Yeah. She had some really good lines. I will give her that, you know, when he's done saying like, you know, now is not a good time for the conversation for this conversation because like all the accounting stuff that's going on about the merger and We've seen, and she says, you know, it's not a good time for me. She talks about how expensive it is living in Manhattan and everything. And we've seen him, like, go to bat for her and respect any time she just asked for a thing or just did the job. So it was really disappointing to see his reaction like this because it's not like in the past when they've, you know, had this mentor-mentee relationship and he's promoted her or supported her just for being her he didn't have a million things in his mind and he wasn't weighed down by his own angsty emotions and stuff. Yeah. I'm super proud of Peggy for like basically getting a job offer and being like, well, I want to stay at my job because she's loyal to Don. We are seeing that some loyalty has been born here with Peggy, but like I, I, in her little mind, she's like, I will leave you (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I'm out here being great and people are recognizing that and i'm giving you an opportunity to recognize that so i mean we'll just see how it goes but it's so different from people trying to court don away from sterling cooper and him showing some sort of loyalty almost to the point of like being really angry that people would even suggest that he go somewhere else um but at the same time peggy has a fuller understanding i think of her worth and what she has to offer Don, like, knows that he is an asset, but at the same time, he still wants to be the big dog in a little yard. Mm. What if it's her time? It is your time. Get your life. It's my time. Yeah. It's her time. Yeah. And it's, it's hard not to think, you know, like, what if one of the other men, or if she had been a man, had been, had walked in and had the same conversation would he be so quick to 
um, to push her away or dismiss her, a woman surrounded by baby mm-hmm. gifts. But maybe that's also giving them too much credit, too. Did we do it? I don't know. I think we did. Actually, though, I do want to ask Melissa, our first time viewer. What uh, what do you think is going to happen there? Do you think um, Peggy is like disillusioned by Don? Do you think she's going to find a re- they'll give her a reason to stay loyal to the company? Do you think she's going to risk it? So think, do you think Pete is continue getting do you think Pete is going to keep being I a dick Pete's to her? I think Pete's probably going to keep being a dick because it's Pete. Um, I was like kind of surprised to see <laughs> Depp back. So I would be kind of surprised again if this was the only time. And so for those reasons, I feel like Peggy might eventually take this offer from Duck. But it's like this is season three and there's a bunch of seasons of this. So I can't imagine her and Don separating at this point either. So I don't know. I I don't know. Like we said, like, it was really disappointing to see Don just be like, that's not happening after, like, everything that they've been through together. Um, but you never know. Like, we've seen other people go above Don's head to get what they want in this office. Granted, that involved marrying <laughs> Roger, but. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, at least that, that'll be a hard, hard uh trick to pull off no i i think with don and peggy and like the disillusionment disillusionment thing like i think what's happening with don is it's like when i'm going to say you but i mean when men a lot of times are familiar with someone or or care about someone and I think largely it tends to be like, you know, and like, it's like a, a cis men kind of, you know, cis women thing historically, just men and, and women kind of writ large. Um, I think he definitely takes Peggy for granted. So he mm-hmm. feels like he can say no and then pay like, like the slot machine will, will pay out later and he can then reward her. It's like, she's, he relies on her and is so crucial to the success of that office and their department that it's like no she knows i can't do it because she trusts me and i trust her and like i take her for granted because she'll always be there because she's kind of like air and it's that's not really how relationships work i mean relationships in like the professional sense i mean also in the the romantic sense as well but it's like when someone is so focused on their own stuff and again you need to like take care of your own stuff too because if you don't take care of your own stuff how can you be there for someone else but at the same time it's like you i think don focuses too much on all the different irons in the fire and all the different rooms that that he's in and all the different many men all the different men's is he is in the different room that uh he probably feels like he can. He is treating Peggy differently because he feels like he can say no and there won't be blowback. But uh, I guess we'll we'll see if there's blowback. Mm-hmm. Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. What you got? Um, I have some lighthearted commentary on Ken Cosgrove. <laughs> Yeah, literally Ken Cosgrove's watch because he's like, what time is it? What time isn't it? And I'm like, all right, Kenny. 
you little idiot. <laughs> um, I love that he's still haunting Pete. That's very funny to me. Isn't the secretary that they're making fun of getting her scarf stuck the same one that they had prank call Peggy? Because it's like, you can't get this lady involved in your shenanigans and then make fun of her for, like, being a shenanigan. Y'all are trash. So. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it is. Trash. Yeah. Well, they also said, though, when he, he has the, was it the, the Mets tickets? I think he walks in and he's like, baby, married, something. Oh, about you, hey, Kinsey? Kinsey, you what want you to, to go to the ball yes, game? He, he's funny, and I just want to make sure that... <laughs> I get to talk about him. <laughs> there you go. Always. We will always have space for Ken Gosgrove here. I guess just a, a little bit more on Medgar Evers, who we mentioned earlier, the civil rights activist who was murdered, was murdered by a white reactionary, someone from a organization that, that supported segregation in schools and went through two trials in 1963. Both juries in the first two trials were all white and they ended up they didn't r- render him innocent, but they did not convict either. They were both hung juries, and then he was finally, the murder was retried again in the 90s, I think 94, and then was convicted. Um, in her conversation with, with Don earlier, Peggy also mentions the the really new, at the time, Equal Pay Act, which provided basic protections in the workplace against gender-based wage discrimination. And Basic. Then, Mm-hmm. which then laid the groundwork for future labor laws aimed more specifically at protecting women and minorities, and that included Title IX, which I think was at some point in the 70s. I don't have the the date right in front of me. And my last bit and bob was, I didn't want to kind of lose it, was the Sally's line, I didn't know you could cook to her dad when she, Peggy's, or Peggy, Betty is still in the hospital, and Don is is frying up some hamburger and onions and egg or something like that and they have a nice little snack together and talk about how the baby's room is the baby's room now not grandpa jean's room um but yeah it was it was a nice moment of someone connecting with sally a little bit her dad connecting with her but at the same time sally didn't know her dad could cook because he doesn't because he's not there so yeah. there we go. Also, we did all... we did fail to talk about how uh, annoyingly it was precious that precious. scene was. By the way, it was so you know like when Don tells her that he thought that she was going to be a boy and points out that not all surprises are bad and just the cute smiles and the sitting next to her and uh, damn it, Don. It's, it's it's that seems all classic Don because it's like the oh you're never here you don't like you know what I mean like someone doesn't know something about him because he's not there and someone being a his his child one of the one of the women in his life and it's like oh but it's so cute because he's in that room and then he's present in that moment but it's the times that he's not there that you know are frustrating but when they see us when we see those moments we're like oh but yeah it's. It was, it was very cute, and I hate when those moments work on me. And it's like, but if they happen on the regular, like, I don't think Sally would be acting out in mm-hmm. the way that she is. It's almost like the show is like manipulating us the same way Don manipulates the women around him, just uh-huh. tossing the scraps of affection, <laughs> and and we know it, and we fall for and it, we still fall for and it, he's yeah. still a shitty man. And then we're like, oh no, not again! I fell for it, and. 
I, it's like, he walked over the bar on the floor. Woo! Yay. So, yeah, more stuff to come. Probably more of the same from Don. Probably more of us falling for it again. Ditto with Ken Cosgrove. Yeah. We're yeah. chipping away at season three. Almost Five episodes down. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Annie, where can people find more of you on the internet? Uh, you can find me uh, not using my Twitter and Instagram at Pop Artery, P-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y. You can also catch me on my other podcast where we just talk about Jane Austen all the time. Uh, the Daily... Mm. The Daily Nightly, uh, which you can find at thedailynightly.com. We are finishing, or we we have just finished uh, reading Pride and Prejudice, and we're going to tackle all sorts of adaptations next time. So check it out. Melissa, where can people find more of you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O-Yellow. And you can find me co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. We have... Um, a very long episode coming covering the 1978 Halloween and the 2018 Halloween. So it's about to be spooky. You can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. Mattyhugh, you can follow the show at at stillgreatpod on Twitter or email us at at stillgreatbob at gmail.com. Also, if you would be so inclined, please rate and review the podcast in the podcasting system of your choice. And as always, thank you to DJ Empirical for our a very groovy theme song. Mm-hmm. Well, bye. Bye. Later days. God damn it, Don.